0: it's part of american politics we love our polls from local races to the national stage of the
1: 2024 presidential election matt towery and robert kahali are churning the data so you can stay informed this is polling plus Hello, everyone. This is Matt Towery. I'm with the bow-tied one himself, Robert Cahaley, and this is Polling Plus. We have a very special guest today as we start to really get this thing ramped up. And although the folks who are watching this on video know who it is, a lot of the folks listening on the podcast will not know until I give an introduction, which I'm doing now. But it's unusual. This person in 1980 was in his first term in Congress. And he could have easily have just enjoyed the ride of incumbency and been reelected. But he felt like he had a message that he needed to test and to get out to the public. It was a critical year, 1980. So he did what almost no incumbent would do. He challenged an unknown Democrat in a democratic state. And he was in a democratic Congress to three debates on his state's network TV affiliates for the largest city in that state. Now, he he did magnificently. It was magnificent. Um, he went on to win. The guy did gain, gain a little extra name ID, but it didn't keep him from having a big victory. But what he managed to do was to to launch what turned out to be a career of, of advancing ideas that basically have created the modern Republican Party. And that was coming off the heels of the Goldwater era, which is sort of what led into that. So the person and the way I know this is I was with him at every one of those debates as a as a minor addition, someone who had debated and was there just to say, yeah, you sounded good. That was great. Moral support. But I've known this man this long. He went on to become the speaker of the House of Representatives. Robert says that uh, one of the big uh, deals about Newt Gingrich was that he would listen to the GOPAC tapes when he was younger. And it was a big inspiration. So Robert and I are so pleased. To have as our guest one of the three great Republicans, uh, I think, of the modern era um, nationally in our history, uh, House Speaker Newt Gingrich. Newt, welcome.
0: Well, listen, listen I, I would do this just for that buildup. <laughs> My mother would have loved that. <laughs>
1: well,
0: it's all true, right? I mean, well, mostly true. I'll, I'll, I'll let the ranking among significant Republicans be up. To well, you.
1: I know, I know the debate part was true because I saw it and. Yeah. Uh, it's been a, a great ride, Newt, so it's great. to. Well, we
0: ought to tell people, if you, if you had a minor role, it's because you were young enough you were a minor. I mean, how old were you in 1980?
1: <laughs> oh, I was 20. I was 20. I had just finished teaching one of your daughters in at debate, a debate yeah, workshop.
0: Okay. Now, listen, Kathy is always in your shadow because at that point in her life, you were such a great debater, and she knew she didn't know anything. Oh no, she, uh, so she, she turned out to she be. She always girl. refers to you with a sort of reverence. Uh, well, that's I that's, managed to avoid that.
1: <laughs> it's all right. I don't blame you. It's totally justified. So, Robert, we we have Newt here with us, and I think I'm going to let well, you right. kick us off
2: with the, with a question to Newt because I've been doing too much talking. Well, you know, I, uh, you weren't even exaggerating, uh, Speaker. I remember I I went to the uh, Republican. Uh, the conference in North Carolina, the, the Southern Republican. And then I, all the way home, I listened to go Pack tapes. And I was like, I was so, I was all about it. I mean, it, so when you, when people talk about, you know, mostly influ, influential Republicans, I mean, you certainly were for me and a whole bunch of us that were, you know, my age growing up, you know, kind of fighting in, 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 back when you were allowed to talk in colleges and stuff like that. But, uh, you certainly were for me and all my <laughs> friends. And uh, as a matter of fact, one of my buddies ran for student government. If you like Newt Gingrich, you'll love him. <laughs> That's what his poster said. He won in the business school. <laughs> he wasn't the one in humanities. That's great. Um, well, look, I want to start by, you know, I guess one of the questions when we look at what's going on in politics now is that you know, you figured out a way to work with – president clinton to balance the budget how, how do we get back there uh, it, it, what is it that you guys did that, that makes y'all different than what they're doing now
0: well i mean part of it you have to give credit to bill clinton uh, he had been a uh, attorney general and then governor of arkansas he was a very long-serving governor uh so he was used to being in a conservative state uh, dealing with a conservative Democrat legislature. It was Democrat, but it was very conservative. So he was not rigid. And in fact, he had formed an effort to try to move the Democratic Party back towards the center. Uh, and so at one level, you had somebody who instinctively thought that was the right direction. But the key to that, I mean, that by itself, the personality wouldn't have mattered. The key to it was something we'd learned from Reagan. And I always recommend to people a book by Tom Evans, called the Education of Ronald Reagan, which uh, outlines his years at General Electric. Reagan had learned something that Lincoln knew, which is that uh, Lincoln once said, with public sentiment, anything is possible. Without public sentiment, nothing is possible. And, and Reagan constantly uh, worked off of the American people. In fact, he says in his in, in his uh, farewell address that all of my victories in the Congress, were actually your victories. It was your vote, your voice, your mail. You won it. I didn't, uh, and I think he believed that. So I had learned from Reagan that you you start with the majority of the American people. The contract, for example, the contract with America, every single item was at sixty-five or seventy or seventy-five percent approval. Well, Clinton looked at our victory, sat down and realized what we had done, which is uh, maneuvered to make sure that this was a popular. Republican Party, not just a stubborn Republican Party. Uh, And as he said to his staff, they apparently had a very fiery meeting in the White House in June of 1995. And Clinton said to his liberals, if I do what you want, I will be defeated in 96. If I work with Gingrich, I'll probably be reelected in 96. And I choose reelection. And so starting from there, now you still had to negotiate. Uh, we spent uh, 35 days together negotiating the only four balanced budgets of your lifetime. Uh, we got welfare reform. We got the largest capital gains tax cut in history. We did FDA reform. Medicare reform is a pretty amazing cycle. Uh, but it required the two things. One was that we always came from popular majorities. So we were always giving Clinton the choice of either being in the minority or agreeing with us. And the second was that we were always willing to sit and work out the deal. Uh, I, I used to say it's a box. On one side of the box is what I have to have. On the other side of the box is what you have to have. On one side of the box is what I can't have. And on the other side of the box, is what you can't have. Now, somewhere in between those four, we can find a deal. And that's, again, something I learned from Reagan. We had, Clist and I did a movie called Rendezvous with Destiny about Reagan. And in it, we have Jim Baker saying that, Reagan said the purpose of a negotiation is to get to a deal. And if you can get 70 or 80%, take it, and then come back tomorrow morning for some more.
1: So your comment, Newt, about sentiment gets us right to where we are right now, because what, what this show is about is measuring sentiment. We poll, we try to interpret, and we obviously have Iowa coming up right at, you know, around the corner. Um, Robert, first of all, why don't you give us your latest polling numbers? You have some brand new numbers in Iowa because this will be a good lead in for the discussion with Newt about this presidential race.
2: Yeah, we do. This is, uh, hot off the, uh, presses. This, this will, uh, won't even be public till after the podcast goes live tomorrow. Uh, and, and frankly, it's not a big departure from what Matt's last poll on the other polling is, but we got, uh, Iowa Trump at, uh, 52.2, uh, Haley at 18.4. DeSantis at 17.5, uh, Ramaswamy at 4.5, uh, Christie at 3.4, and at 0.7, Hutchinson with uh, 2.7% undecided. And I should also say, we promised
1: to do a composite poll between Insider Advantage and Trafalgar. We've done that as we've been doing our tracking. We're going to have a full poll out later this week uh, for Real Clear Politics, but uh, the composite has Trump at 50.1%. So it looks like Newt. Um, and we know Iowa can be tricky, as you recall. I mean, we've seen instances where the polls made it look like someone was 10 points up and it ends up being very close. And in fact, in the case of Trump last time, Trump ended up in the very end uh, running slightly behind and wasn't in first place. Um, I believe that was to who, did, who, who won that one. Was it Cruz, Cruz, Ted Cruz? Ted Cruz. That's right. And he won it on the evangelical vote. And he won it on his organization. And apparently Trump has a much better organization this time and seems to be polling in, in the breakout that we've been doing very well with evangelicals, almost at the same number that he has in the actual uh, total number. You've, you've run in Iowa. You know the caucus system. Can can you tell us what feel you have for how you think Iowa's going to take how, – how it's going to roll out and what the results might be?
0: Well – from your poll, which was slightly different than Fox was this morning, um, it shows Nikki has a little bit of momentum. Uh, and uh, in the Fox poll, she was behind DeSantis. In your poll, she's slightly ahead of him. Um, it'll be a significant morale victory for Haley if she comes in second. And she could. You, you, you could imagine her with these numbers ending up, say, at 20. Though the challenge for her is I, I don't know that she has any kind of real f- ground organization. And what, what folks have to realize is when you have a primary, uh, you have to, you know, drop by, vote, and you're done. When you have a caucus, you go someplace, and you're there for two or three hours. Uh, there's also been a huge snowstorm uh, coming through. Um, and somebody just told me that in Kansas City next Monday night – uh, when uh, Miami goes to play the, the Chiefs, it'll be six oh. degrees. Oh. Now, that means uh, <laughs> Iowa will be somewhere around six or five or four. So that means you got to bundle up, go out in the cold. I don't know that there'll be snow. There's a lot of snow in Iowa today. In fact, I know that... Uh, Governor Huckabee, uh, the two governors, Huckabee, uh, were thinking about coming in to campaign for Trump today and physically couldn't get their plane in. So there's a big snowstorm right now that may be gone, although somebody told me thinks there's going to be snow on Sunday, but not Monday.
1: And I, I, so, I assume that that's a difference in Iowa, whereas in, in Georgia, when we're, when you and I were there, we had snow on Sunday, we didn't get out till another Thursday, right? But they,
0: that's right. they, well, they get around. I, 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 I was once in Milwaukee uh, speaking to 800 people at the Milwaukee Country Club at 8 o'clock on Monday morning after an ice storm. And all 800 were there at 8 a.m. And I turned in amazement as a Georgian and said to my friend, I mean, how do you get this many people out? He said, what do you think on Wisconsin meant? <laughs> he said, "He said if you if you ever let the Wisconsin winter buffalo you, you'll be locked in for six months. So, uh, so, a, a, so Iowans a, are a lot the same so base. So a quick follow-up. So my, my guess, be, my yeah. guess is, yeah. and this is purely a guess, my guess is the Trump will probably overperform because he has a big much, much bigger field organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on the other hand, Iowa, as you know, is a very quirky state where you can suddenly have somebody surge. I mean, John Kerry surged, for example, uh, in uh, 2004 and came from behind. um, And uh, you have other occasions like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the other hand, Trump is in Iowa, had had a good uh, crowd the other day. uh, and, And sort of the... The parallel I keep drawing is DeSantis can go out and have 200 people at a rally. Trump goes out and has 7,000. Right. Now, at, at some point, that differential has a practical effect.
1: Robert, you were asking about New Hampshire. We don't think it's we, – we think New Hampshire is a bit of an aberration, dude, because so many um, undeclared voters – of course, they can vote, just like in Georgia where we didn't register by party, but they – they allowed folks, you know, there was some switching going not, on exactly. because there is no de- Democratic prim- primary. Because Robert, they knew your, your thoughts They knew that?
2: as early as um, last uh, summer that Biden wasn't competing there. And so they had till October to move to undeclared, and there was a big effort to get Democrats to move to undeclared. So I think we're going to have not only um, independents, but we're going to have Democrats who are now going to vote as an independent So I think you're going to have a lot of people playing in that primary right now. And uh,
1: your your thought about New Hampshire, let's assume for a minute, Newt, that that Nikki Haley does manage to edge out DeSantis, that Trump does have the sort of victory they were sort of thinking he's going to have, very substantial, maybe overperform even. And then you get into New Hampshire where there's a lot of money behind Nikki. The governor up there, uh, Chris Anunu, is for him, for, for Nikki, rather. Uh, and you've got this crossover vote, y- your thoughts about New Hampshire, and does it really matter when you have South Carolina waiting in the wings?
0: I mean, if, if Trump is going to lose anywhere, it'll be New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not another, not, not another state in the country where you have coming together both uh, the cultural moderate Republicans led by Governor Sununu and an open primary. This, this by the way, remember McCain beat Bush. In 2000, George W. in two thousand in in uh, New Hampshire, and McCain could win any state which was open to independence voting. Mm-hmm. He couldn't win any state which was closed to only Republicans, and that's and McCain went down to flames in South Carolina. Um, the the one wild card in New Hampshire, I think, is Chris Christie, and it's conceivable if Haley comes out of Iowa a strong second or at least clear second. Nobody's going to be strong in Iowa except Trump. But a clear second. It's conceivable that um, that momentum could make her the front runner in New Hampshire. She would then be faced with eight days, I think, of Christie beating her up and eight days of the Trump team. And we'll see where she is. But I would say if she has any place at all, she can win, that it's, it's New Hampshire. And the problem is, then it's over. I mean, the the only nationwide organized candidate in the Republican Party is Donald J. Trump.
1: And, of course, South and, Carolina follows. And You know a lot yeah. about South Carolina. Both of you guys do. <laughs> and yeah. and but, I don't see her carrying that state. The political apparatus, even though she was governor,
2: is completely but, against her. Isn't but even right, though right? she was governor, when she got involved and she endorsed uh, Romney, I, I, I think somebody else won in 2012, right? In South Carolina, yeah,
0: yeah and the, same, the same thing happened to her in 2016, where she endorsed exactly. Marco Rubio and Trump. So she's never even um, had
2: coattails when it comes to presidential politics. And-,
0: and I think that's probably pretty devastating. I think to, to have a brief moment in the sun, go back to your home state and get crushed. And my guess is that Trump will crush her in South Carolina. Uh, so <clears throat> my working assumption, unless you guys have numbers I've never seen, my working assumption is that Donald J. Trump will be the Republican nominee by super. Yeah, I, th- I think— literally, literally have the delegates th- to be the nominee. I think
2: you're right, because South Carolina's going to set that trend, Mr. Speaker. And, and the other thing we're seeing, too, is that the change in Iowa and the change in some other places is just when DeSantis loses people, uh, you know, more a fourth of them go to uh, Haley, but— but three fourths of them go to Trump, and so.
0: Right. So I mean, and, and I think they're now aggressively painting Haley as sort of a liberal right. Republican, so, so, uh, and, and that may work. Okay. That may be survivable in New Hampshire, but it's not survivable many other places. So, New, assuming DeSantis does not have a
1: good night in Iowa, what should he do?
0: Leave. And. Be governor. I mean, he's governor of the third largest state in the country. Right. You know, he's got a great. He has a future. If he had not run this year, he would have had a real serious future as a presidential candidate. I think he's burned that up. Uh, I, I doubt very much if he can ever again put that together. Would he endorse Trump? Uh, do you think? No. I mean, he'll endorse Trump if he's the nominee. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to endorse him before Super Tuesday. I don't. think. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> too much pride. Too too much uh, bad blood mm-hmm. uh, between on both sides. I mean, you know the. There are people in the Trump campaign who deeply dislike DeSantis, Mm -hmm. and I think DeSantis right now is pretty bitter about – having. he he was really battered by the Trump team. So there's not a whole lot of love lost. I
2: also noticed how upset he got about Haley suggesting he could be her vice president.
0: Yeah. The – you know, I mean, Haley's having a good run. You have have to say she has courage. She has discipline. She's put together – Probably as good a run as you can in the circumstance. But this is a moment in history when uh, Trump is the leader of a movement. He's not a candidate. The movement is enormous and it is probably close to 60, 65% of the Republican Party nationally. Right. And growing. Uh, And, you know, and uh, that makes it very, very difficult for anybody else to be able to compete. Well, let's springboard past this. Let's assume Donald Trump is the
1: nominee. One of the big issues I've had, Newt, is that it has become increasingly clear. And I've said this on uh, Laura Ingram's show fairly often, and now I'm hearing other people say it. I don't know. I don't think I was necessarily first, but I was one of the few who would say it. It seemed like to me, whoever they are, I'm, I'm not saying that the prosecutors are in cahoots with the Democratic leadership, but they all seem to move in the same direction. Um, It seemed to me that the only way they think they can stop Donald Trump is to put him in jail. And so I want to pose this to you. A lot of people can't quite figure out if Trump gets the nomination, he's facing four different cases in four different jurisdictions, including our old state, Georgia, where in Georgia – for, unfortunately for Trump, the RICO laws are very broad, and the governor has no ability to pardon at all. The, you, if you are convicted, you then would go to the Court of Appeals and to the Supreme Court, which may not even hear the case, but which are dominated by Brian Kemp appointees now. So I see Georgia and some of these other states as being problematic. How do we as a nation, if Trump is elected, how do we get to the point where he can actually take that oath of office and move on and, and, and function as president with this kind of stuff chasing him, where in some instances there's no, there's no federal answer necessarily to the Georgia case unless the Supreme Court gets involved? How does this all work out?
0: Well, I'm, a, I, I, I try, I have not, I'm not very good at saying this, but I try to tell people that we live in a historic period not a political period. Uh, this is a real cultural civil war, and you just saw it worked out a little bit at Harvard. Uh, I mean, this is this is not fun and games. This is not politics as usual. You know, if, if Theodore White were alive today, I'm not sure how he'd write the making of the president in 2024 <laughs> uh, because it's about a different phenomenon. Um, when the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that Trump was an insurrectionist and therefore couldn't be on the ballot. It wasn't that they attacked Trump. They attacked a 1,300,000 Coloradans who had voted for Trump, saying to them, we're going to deny you the right to vote for your candidate. Now, this is madness. Uh, Trump today is the most embattled president since Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln had 10 states that would not put him on the ballot in 1860. And you're in a very similar environment. Uh, the left hates Trump. They fear Trump. They understand that he's the end of their world. They will do anything they can to beat him. And, of course, the problem is in a free society, even with a highly biased news media, gradually people talk to each other. So that the when people look, for example, at whether it's the case in Georgia, <clears throat> which in Fulton County, uh, you, you could probably convict Trump of anything, um, because it's such a That's politically right. democratic county. Uh, when you look at, at Washington, D.C., you have a radical left wing judge who openly despises Trump, presiding over a case being brought by a prosecutor who's already been in a past, in his past career, uh, rebuked by the Supreme Court for violating the rules and cheating. And it would appear, it would, the trial would occur in a constituency where Trump got, uh, 5% of the vote. So 19 out of every 20 potential jurors would be people who voted against Trump. Right. Now, the average American looks at all that and they just go, this is a totally rigged critical game. It has no authority, no legitimacy. And we're on the verge of very, very tough activities. And people need to understand that this this is not fun and games. And if, as I suspect he will, he becomes the nominee, literally has the majority of the votes before any serious trial starts. I mean, the New York fraud trial is an absurdity. Yeah. This, this, is a, this is a fraud case brought by a Democratic attorney general in front of a Democratic judge in which there are, no, there are no victims. Absolutely. Not a single person has said Donald Trump defrauded them. And yet the attorney general wants to take $375 million from him for a fraud case with no fraud. Now this is the kind of stuff which is just insane. And I think the country knows that and I think that once he has a majority I mean for the life of me I don't see how the justice department can move forward on a case once the other person is the, is literally the nominee of the other party. All right.
2: Robert? You know I mean that is to me it it seems like that's the way it ought to be and there's been precedent in the past. For for not involving in elections, but I just see them ignoring precedents so much now that I, I'm not even sure I take that seriously and, and look at that as even though that's what should happen, is what will happen this time. So, you know, I'm I'm not as I'm not probably as confident as 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 you are that um, that would be any kind of a stopping point.
0: Oh, I know. I think you're right. Look, I, we just had this decision, if I understand it correctly, yesterday. That the Justice Department is going going to go after people from January sixth, even if they did not enter the Capitol.
1: Yeah, now, yeah, well, and I think there was a story that came out as well that they're t- they've been using volunteer citizens to basically hunt down people who they suspect to have been at the the events that day. Now, right, a, a I mean, thousand of them, I think, is what I I heard, which is just absolutely frightening when you have, you know, citizens snitching on citizens trying to hunt them down for political purposes.
0: Well, the, the East German Stasi would have admired this. <laughs> yeah. But but when you have, you compare the absolute refusal to go after people during the riots in 2020, uh, because after all, they were... Uh, they were acceptable people uh-huh. doing acceptable things, burning down buildings, right. you know, in a couple of cases killing people. Um, but you, you see none of that aggressiveness. You see none of that aggressiveness against Antifa in uh, um, uh, in, in Portland, Oregon. And so you have to say to yourself: uh, Do you now have a totally corrupt, totally dishonest Justice Department? And and my answer in part is we're just going to have to win this fall by such a big margin that they can't steal it, uh, wait, wait, wait. Which, which it turned out. I, I said, by the way, in an article in the Atlanta Constitution in uh, 1973 <laughs> that Republicans needed to win by at least a four-point margin to take into account the amount the Democrats would steal.
1: In 73, you said that?
0: In 73.
1: That's incredible, So, so which leads us to this. Robert and I talk about this all the time. We're not convinced the Republican Party is, well, first of all, you've been pretty critical of this consultancy world that we have where they trade money back and forth, but nothing ever happens. And Robert and I have certainly been critical of that as well. We are less than a year away, and I don't see the visible evidence of a massive plan to gather votes legally, to push votes out early i haven 't even really seen a whole lot of persuasive advertising and education of the public, which I think has to happen before you get into an election what is what is it going to take newt to get the damn Republican party to to up their game because well you know, it's, I mean yeah. I think if
0: you, I think if you go to the Republican National Committee, they can give you a pretty broad briefing on a whole range of activities designed as they, their term is bank the vote. Um, I actually don't know what the effect of Youngkin's effort was uh in the in the uh 2023 election. I know they tried hard and they had a fair amount of activity. I don't know how much it worked in terms of getting out mm-hmm. additional votes. Um the um and I think some of what you're going to see and this will be an interesting test next week in Iowa. I mean the the very mechanisms I think the Trump people are using in Iowa are a forerunner of what a general election turnout would look like. Uh, and uh, I, I agree with you that turning out the vote really matters. The other thing that matters, though, and where I, I think we're, it's going to be interesting to watch, um, because you, you do have this uh, extraordinary alliance between the elite media and the bureaucracy and the Democratic Party. Uh, and despite all that, I think that they 're just gradually losing ground, I mean, as you guys know because you do the polling uh, Trump in at least in at least one recent poll, Trump is now ahead among hispanics uh, he's a, now part of this is just biden 's weakness that that Trump is gaining a little ground, but Biden is losing a lot of right. ground. Trump was ahead among young people um, if the next year if this year continues in the direction would seem so so far um, it may well be that the Republicans will win by a margin so large that theft is on is not plausible. Yeah, it has to be uh, a
1: big wave. This has to be a, a big wave. That's election.
0: right. Uh, and, and I think, I, as you know, I'm a one trick pony. Uh, so having having worked with Reagan and then having done the '94 campaign, I really believe in landslides. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I I was a, I was a chairman for Nixon in '72 in the Sixth District of Georgia. So which was also a 60% landslide. Um, so I, I mean, I, I don't think the Democrats yet fully appreciate that, that their system could collapse. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that the combination of bad economics, bad foreign policy, uh, and uh, the, the, the whole immigration issue combined with crime, that you just really could see a, a remarkable uh, disintegration of the Democratic Party this summer and fall
1: well I, we're not going to keep you too long much longer mr speaker but um, Robert I know you had another question you wanted to ask Newt. but
2: yeah you know this is a kind of you know moving a little further down the road let's let's, let's go ahead and assume for the sake of argument that uh, Trump were to, to be the nominee can you give us not a, not particularly names but just a description of what kind of person you think he needs to be as vice president?
0: He needs somebody who will be totally loyal, and he needs somebody who understands what Trumpism is all about and will implement it. I mean, the, I think Reagan's greatest mistake in picking George H.W. Bush was that George H.W. Bush never believed in anything Reagan believed in. And so the minute Reagan left office, the Reaganites were all kicked out, and we reverted to being sort of moderate Republicans who were capable of selling out to the Democrats, but not capable of winning fights. Um, I think that uh, he ought to look for somebody who is a fighter. He ought to look for somebody who uh, is is able to articulate. But the truth is, the number one principle with a vice president is it shouldn't hurt you. Uh, I mean, you're not really looking for a vice president who necessarily helps you dramatically, as long as they don't hurt you. Uh, And given the strength of Trump's personality, I mean, I personally think it would be helpful to him to have a woman as the vice presidential nominee. Uh, and I think that that would, uh, uh, to some extent, uh, strengthen the ticket. And there are a number of people out there who you could, could look at who could potentially do that. Uh, but I think, I also think in the end, one morning Donald Trump will look up and decide who he's going to pick. Uh, but I know that they're thinking about it seriously. And I know that he has, um, I think he has, a, he has a very sharp, intuitive understanding of what the country will go for and uh, of what the campaign needs. And I think he has a pretty good sense of how he thinks this campaign will work out. Yeah. So we're
1: not going to pressure for names because we don't want to put you on the spot. We we learned one thing in 2022, Nude. We went on TV every night and some of our good friends pushed us and said, who's going to win this state? Who's going to win that state? we're out of the business of crystal balls because they only cloud up on you and then you end up getting kicked for, for, for getting them wrong. Uh, but, but so we won't push you on names for a, a VP, uh, nominee from Trump, but one final question for me, and that is this, uh, you moved to Florida, you're in Florida now, right? Right. And, um, you've enjoyed that. Obviously. Um, one of the things that I've found out recently is that there's an effort to put in Florida, on the ballot, uh, abortion rights. And as you know, that was probably one of the reasons why the 2022 red wave sort of was countered without us really seeing it, because it became such a sub-Rosa issue that the Democrats used below the surface to to try to get the vote out. Um, Do you think that the Democrats replaying this issue of abortion and this democracy thing, which by the way, are as you know, we're not a democracy. We're a democratic Republic, but that's all right. If they want to keep using that term, the, 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 the all the scare tactics. Do, do you think that, 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 that stuff's coming to an end and it's not going to work like the Democrats think it will? Because to me, they're going to go back to that same bag. you talk about one trick pony. That's their one trick. It's abortion. And it's, uh, and it's get, and basically now it's just it's their uh, going back to uh, January sixth and how we're going to quote lose democracy. Is it going to play or is that is that dying out?
0: Well, I think it depends on, on how you deal with it. I think it's very hard. Um, in, uh, we really live in two alternative universes, and in the democratic universe, uh, dictatorship and the threat of Trump. And democracy just you know, they just make it makes them feel good to talk about mm-hmm. it, uh, and uh, the fact that it has no impact on independence, and that in fact uh, most people people actually want a president to be effective uh, and to get things done uh, more than to be likable and nice, um, and I don't think the Democrats get that that when you are failing on the border, failing in crime, failing with drugs. Uh, failing in foreign policy, uh, failing in the economy, uh, people know all this because it's their life. They live it. Uh, when when Washington has uh, 950 carjackings in one year, uh, people in the D.C. area realize crime is insanely out of control. And I think one of the issues this fall is going to be uh, taking back the city of Washington as a national capital and and uh, getting rid of the crime and making it possible for Americans to visit their capital safely. And that'll be an issue where the democrats will go crazy because they ha- they have to defend uh their base no matter how destructive it is. So uh mm-hmm. on abortion, I think Trump's probably the best placed of any republican because he he is compassionate, he's concerned, he's not committed to a hard line. He's pro-life, but he's not going to, he's not going to be threatening. Uh, and I think that uh, that's a game. If, if it's a straight-up question of who's going to control my body, we will lose uh, that issue over and over. If it's a question of should you have a baby killed in the ninth month, they will lose that issue over and over. And the question becomes who's the extremist.
1: And how it's communicated, which is –
2: Right. The issue the Republicans always face, Robert. Well, any that, final questions you're exactly from you? Right. I mean, it, 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 you know, when we're talking about uh, restrictions on abortions, the Republicans are winning. When we're talking about abortion ban, the Republicans are losing, and and sometimes I I just think right. that they don't seem to get that. Um, no, no. I mean, I, I, yeah, but but,
0: but, but, yes, but Trump and does. he
2: he definitely does, and understands that there's a there's room for a, coming up with a compromise that can can make it is not so much of an issue uh, because
0: you know but, but but remember by the way that the while abortion was a big issue uh the republicans swept long no, island okay, and both, both the two big counties up there absolutely swept every single office yeah. because they emphasized they emphasized illegal immigration, crime, taxes, <clears throat> the governor's insane idea to put public housing in the middle of suburban towns and so people just said, yeah, I understand that issue matters. But let me tell you, I, wor- I worry more about getting mugged or I worry more about the illegal immigrants who are flooding into New York. Uh, and the result was uh, Republicans want to use. You're victory.
2: exactly right. and That's the point I was going to make is when you look at 22 and you look back at it it, it, it was almost as if there was this this wave in, in a lot of the Republican state and uh, a lot of the states that went. Republicans picked up so many seats, I mean, even including California, but in the States with us Senate seats where the Democrats put their machine in place, that's where we saw it hit this blue wall and, and what we saw them do. And we saw it firsthand in Georgia, you know, I think you're right that Trump, from what I've heard, what they're developed in Iowa, it is that kind of a person to person campaign apparatus because I mean they had a thousand paid operatives on the ground in Georgia. And that's the way you turn out the vote. And and I and I just worry that that, that that the Republicans aren't even close to being able to do that because of how united the Democrats were with their big money. You know, they they don't writ, they don't make, you know, 30 consultants 10 million dollars. They they go out there and they actually focus all the money they've got in the places they need it. Well, Robert, they also don't pull
1: the rug out from under candidates who have a chance at the last minute, as as we saw happen to these Republicans in some of these key states okay. where there was a surge that we picked up. And then all of a sudden, because his excellency in the Senate didn't want those folks in there because they wouldn't vote for him. They pulled the money. And that's what happened. And so that's got to get fixed, too. But so, Newt, you know, any final thoughts? You know, I need mean, this. we've been through so many elections together. Um, you know, I started in '80, in but we've we've ridden a lot of elections. This every time we say an election, this is the most important election of our lifetime. But I'm getting the idea from you: this is not just the most important election of our lifetime; it is the most important election in terms of whether we continue as a nation.
0: And well, I think it's the most important election since 1860. Yeah, I think that. Uh... The, you have a totally corrupt Democratic Party, totally corrupting the Justice Department, threatening the uh, independence and liberty of every single American. You have a uh, machine on the other side, which is enormous. Uh, and if they get control of this country, we will cease to be America in any terms which the three of us would recognize. So I do think that this is, uh, I think it's why Trump is so important as the leader of a movement. And I think it's why the movement itself is so important.
1: Well, I'll ask one last question. So we have a lot of friends. Um, you hear this all the time, dude. Uh, Robert hears it. I hear it from people, particularly when I visit Atlanta in the suburbs, up in Buckhead and Vining, some places like that. And these are friends who I went to school with and I've known forever, and the professionals. And whenever Trump comes up, they go, oh, I just don't know if I can vote for him. I just don't like his style. How do... How do Republicans, how does Trump finally communicate to these people that if they keep voting for a Democrat, the impact it's going to have on their personal life? Because it seems to me there's a disconnect. And a lot of people are just wanting to vote their self-image. And we've really had a problem with suburban Republicans who just simply will not stomach Trump. And if they, if they don't change that, he doesn't get that wave. How do you overcome that? What what would be your way of overcoming? And it's a big group. I mean, it's 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 a sizable group. Robert and I would say.
0: I think. I, I, look, I think the only thing that works is to get them to think about the next four years, and to say, you know, you you know that on literally every single indicator. And and by the way, the polling data shows this to be pretty overwhelming. If you say to people, uh, "Were the economic policy is better under Trump," the, the the numbers are by plus twenty. If you say to people, "Was immigration better under Trump? The numbers are like plus 40. Uh, you know, you go down a list of these things and just say to them, you're not voting about a personality. You're voting about a country. And if, if you can tolerate a, a drug addicted, crime ridden nation drowning in illegal immigration uh, and with a government that is going to go bankrupt by sheer bulk of spending and with bureaucracies that are incompetent, out of control, can't deliver and don't pay any attention to you, vote for Biden. But then when you do vote for Biden, don't be shocked at how bad your country becomes.
1: Well put. (laughs) Speaker Gingrich, thank you so much for joining us. You have um, been a pleasure to talk with you. We'll have you back on Polling Plus if you can do that at some point.
0: As as you guys know, and I can say this to the audience, uh, I rely on both of you. I talk with you regularly, and I think you're among the smarter people looking at American government and politics. So I'm delighted to be part of your podcast. Well,
1: coming from you, that's high praise. Uh, So for For Robert Cahaley, myself, and our great Newt Newt Gingrich, uh, who I believe it truly is, along with uh, Reagan and I would say Trump, uh, one of the three people of our lifetime for the Republicans who really had an impact, Uh, we're honored to have you. And uh, we wish you a great new year and look forward to seeing you again. Join us next time in our next edition of Polling Plus. Until then, for the bow tied one, Robert Cahaley, myself, Matt Towery we're going to go get some new numbers and we'll have them for the next podcast.